Welcome to another special edition of Top Lines and Tales. As always, kindly sponsored by Harborough. And as this broadcast is going out on Hogmanay, I'd like to take the opportunity, A, to thank all of our listeners over the last 12 months, and B, to wish everybody a happy new year in this coming season. We jump back in in today's episode to the Christmas party that we had last week, and where we were having a dram, we took the opportunity to look back on some of the important folks that we'd lost from the livestock industry during the last 12 months. Again, I go back to being joined by uh, Scotty Brown, Rob Patterson and Ken Fletcher. As our Top Line's Christmas party, we're looking back on the year gone previous and, and a sad affair sometimes, but uh, we're all sitting here enjoying a dram and raising a glass to each other and everybody else on, who listens to this podcast, but also to some of those uh, absent friends who, who've gone over the last year or so. And I'll, and I'll start by raising one, not just in the last year, but the previous year to that, uh, a man who I believe is probably known by most of us and, and a man who actually is responsible, in my mind, for me starting the Top Lines and Tail podcast, a, a great stocksman that I knew through Summersfield show and certainly a, a Highland a, a legend and also a legend in his short on a man called Jack Ramsey. And uh, uh, Fletch, you'll have known Jack, uh, well, both of you boys will have known Jack as well. And uh, some man, Jack, he knew everything. I think maybe I go further back than any of you with Jack because he was in the Young Farmers movie. When I was 17 or 18, uh, we would uh, cross swords and between his local club uh, and my club. I think his local club would be East Renfrew, and mine was West Renfrew. Um, and I remember him showing cattle at the likes of Nielsen Show way back in 1977, 78, right about then, where he worked for Tom McClatchy, the late Tom McClatchy. Um, there was no better sage with regard to pedigree cattle than Jack Ramsey. Um, the other thing I would like to say about Jack was he was also a bit of a raconteur. He could tell jokes that nobody else could tell. Once he'd told them, you couldn't tell them because he, he did it better than anybody. And he used to sing a, a song about Sam the Skull, if anybody can remember that, that remains imprinted in my mind and I can still hum a few bars of it, but I'm not going to tonight. But Jack, I think Jack was one of the epitome of how you can drag yourself up with the bootlaces and turn yourself into something. And by the end of it, he was a respected breeder. Um, I'm, and I'm quite sure he could get into any breed and, and produce a champion. He did it with bantams latterly, but short horns, gee was he's left a legacy there and only a very short time. Scotty? Jack reminds me of the kind of, if you compare him in rugby terms, he's like the Daniel Carter of the uh, of the stockman's world. You know, he, he always looked like he had so much time on the ball, with the ball in his hands, because he's when he came to showing stock, he just made it look really easy, you know. Um, just a gifted, gifted man. And uh, I remember listening to you yourself and uh, Rosemary Hunter talking on the the top lines and tales about the Highland cattle. And uh, Rose, Rosemary said that uh, when Jack spoke, you listened because when he usually when he listened, he had something good to say or interesting to say. And uh, yeah, a really nice guy. Such a such a gifted uh, stocksman, and unfortunately, he takes a lot of those skills with him when he's uh, when he's departed from this, shuffled off this mortal coil. Not just the skills, but the stories too, and the, and the knowledge. And uh, Rob, do you know him as well? Yeah, I was fortunate enough to 
meet Jack when I was fairly young. We uh, used to go to college at Auckland Grove and um, we used to go to the stock judgings that the young farmers in the uh, nursery down there, Mocklin and Ayrn, such like had. And there'd be a few times we'd end up at Jack's stock judging and um I like like Scott said, it was somebody somebody you listened to. Uh, and when he opened his mouth, people did listen. And we're very fortunate Jack did pass on a lot of his knowledge. He was he was good that way. He, he loved helping young ones, passing on advice. Um yeah, it was he'll never he'll never be replicated, Jack, I don't think is uh, one of a kind. Sure. And not for the first time this year, I'd like our listeners to raise a glass to you, Jack. And moving on into this year, and it was the beginning of this year, I think probably lost one of the greatest this cattlemen that's probably been of my my generation and somebody I looked up to uh, more than any, but not just my generation, generations and generations before that. And that, of course, would be uh, be Donald Bigger, the bigger family in, in, uh, in Chapleton down there in Castle Douglas. And the family go back to Walter Bigger, who judged... Uh, Chicago show something like 13 times and, and 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 the podcast that I've done recently we've covered Galloway's and Hereford's and and Angus and Shorton's and uh, and the bigger family have been not just involved in those but instrumental in the direction that they've taken and in all the things and Donald was taken from us very young I'd say uh, early this year um, Fletch the same age as yourself and one of your best pals there uh, what are you going to say about Donald? Well you know one of the first times I met him we kind of recognised each other as a kind of kindred spirit, and not many people could see that because he he was obviously from a five generation family who bred some of the best cattle that have ever come out of Scotland. They've been to Canada, they populated Canada, the Argentine, Brazil, everywhere. Cattle from uh, Chapel have been everywhere, but we became really good pals and. You know, as far as uh, beef shorthorns are concerned, you only need to mention a couple of animals like uh, Chapleton Duchess or Toft's Romany that was an interbreed champion at the at the Royal and the Highland, I think. And in the Herefords, he had the perspicacity to buy a bull called Luada Sensation, who just about blew away all the opposition at the likes of the Royal and the Highland as well. Um, in the Galloway world, it was the oldest Galloway herd in the world before Foot and Mouth took it out. Um, and I, the thing that pains me is that he'd, he'd been painstakingly building up his Aberdeen Angus herd and never got to the point where he would actually get to the... Donald was very one of, one of these guys who would, wouldn't show an animal unless he thought, you know, it was worthy of carrying the name... And I think he was getting to that point with some of the Aberdeen Angus. And it, I think it pains, it pains me and it probably pains him that he never got to see uh, one of his you know, animals in the blacks go to the same extremes that he saw the beef shot horns and the galleries. I think the one thing you have to remember about Donald Bigger was a class act. And you would know that from... Smithfield? Absolutely. Uh, I sat alongside him and, well, originally he was steward when I was showing cattle there and as I went on to the, to the council there and Donald helped me through and we had some dealings and dust-ups as it happens. But, um, yeah, a man that would always, he'd win through on an argument by saying nothing and I believe that's a that's a family trait with a few of those. But uh, a man I just had so much respect for. He's somebody I'd, I'd call sir. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And, um, you know, a quiet assassin. Mm-hmm would be a, a good way of putting it. You know, he'd managed to get his own way, but by not 
saying too many words. But also, Fletch, you, you and him, and of course, Big Shanksy and the crowd of you used to go fishing regularly as well, so you'd know the other side of him, and he'd be a rogue too, and had some some serious stories. And if we were sitting having this podcast now 12 months ago, I'd, I'd like to think Donald would be sitting in this corner down there holding his own, giving some stories about you. So uh, keep him coming. For, 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 for what it's worth, if any of you out there who are fishing would know what a prawn mount was, and when we were fishing a certain river in the west of Scotland, and said, we've got the prawns, but we don't have a prawn mount. A certain Mr. Bigger produced one from his bag, which is almost like, uh, you know, admitting that you're a poacher. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what, what is a prawn mount? You need to elaborate, Ken. I'm not a fisherman. It's, it's, it's a wee thing that you use, and it's got a bit of elastic on it that, that holds the prawn onto the big treble hook that you're going to catch this salmon from <laughs> and it's it's outlawed in many rivers in fact it's outlawed in the whole of scotland at the minute. you're just about outlawed all those rivers now you've admitted that one <laughs> fletch i was donald's though scott did you have dealings with donald yeah i didn't have uh, business dealings but i met a new donald um and uh, i thought he was just a Incredibly intelligent man. He was always he was a very well read man, and as well as being a good stocksman, he just he was a great um, Scottish agricultural industry man. You know, he was. And there's a lot of knowledge that he had that uh, came through. Obviously, in his time with QMS, uh, and obviously goes without saying his his uh, ability in the beef shorthorn uh, breed was second to none. You know, from losing everything during foot and mouth to coming right back up again uh, to the top uh, tickets again in the in the breed. You know. Within a very short space of time as well, just it's testament to his Donald's ability, his vision, and uh, yeah, I sort of get what Ken's saying. You know, if he never actually lived long enough to achieve his goal when the Angus is, um, I bet he's about your bottom dollar he would actually get there, though he would manage it because he had that ability to do it. Certainly, he was getting back there, as you said, with the short runs, had his eye on where the where the, the genetics were and knew where to go back to, and I think. Uh, uh, was it Roly Bateman that, that put a lot of his cattle back out of Canada? But he, they knew where the where the cattle were, and and uh, you know he fetched the short ones back in there. Uh, um, somebody you had involved in Robert as well. To be honest, I never knew Donald that well. I, I knew him through the Goldies more than anything, but um, I didn't. I used to uh, chat to him at the Bull Sales and the Highland and stuff like that. I had a great lot of respect for him with uh, what he did for the industry with all the the committees and. Um, such like they was involved with, he fought, he fought for the Scottish beef and uh, agricultural industry hard uh, during this time. Um, so, yeah, it'd be a great loss to the to agriculture. Sure, yeah. sure. A couple of other people that we've lost this year, one uh, being Harry Slay, and I, I'd call him young Harry Slay because there was an old one, it's probably a younger one as well, but Harry was was no age and, and from Fivey up there in Turriff. Um, Harry had words with me earlier on in the year when I'd um, done a podcast on uh, Harveston and saying what oh, the fantastic Jay Kerr at Harveston, they'd won all these records on, on uh, at Harveston and Harry pinged me and he said, uh, what records did they win? And I said, well, they've won all these championships of that and, and he said if you look at the records and I did have another look through and I realised that uh, that St John's Wells and Fivey had actually won probably even more records than Harveston had and uh, with 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 Chivitz and, and and Suffolk's and Ponies and what have you and uh, Harry's a young man and uh, he's a quiet man sometimes but uh, uh, a loss to the, to the industry. Massively yeah yeah gone far too early Andy a really really nice guy very knowledgeable just you know very similar mould to Donald Bigger you know in terms of um, just 
I'm a lovely guy to be in the company of, a very accomplished stocksman in his own right, I've achieved more than most people would ever do in a lifetime. Um, you know, uh, just just one, one of life's real good guys, you know, and tragic that he's uh, departed far too early. Mm-hmm. And Fletch, you'd have seen some of the history coming over through the Scottish farmer of the you know, of the, the slave family going back again. We've looked at this stuff going back for 100 years and some, and... Uh, uh, some families from that 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 good farm up there in Turriff, but seem to turn the hand to just a lot of breeds. I, I think it's what you call a lineage, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 honestly, an honest lineage because you don't get to have the longevity that they have in the breeds that they were involved in by not being an honest and you know true breeder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe a, a lesson there for some of the others that have come into the industry over the last twenty years, but that's only my opinion. However. I think they would have a record second to none at the Highland Show. I, don't, I, I can't think of anybody who would have won more championships than they did. Uh, and latterly, with young, uh, what I would call young Harry, mm. he he carried on a tradition that had been started generations before him. And, and that, you know, that that's really something. Mm-hmm. Um, because quite a lot of people get handed something and... Wasted. Young Harry picked up the Suffolks a little bit. They came in to sort of his lap a little bit. He decided he was going to make his own mark in the Suffolks. And he probably only gave it a decade or so. But, I mean, he, he gave that a good kick at the ball in a time when Suffolks were going hard to get into and, and bloody hard to get the top of. But he gave it a good good go. I, th- I think he pro- probably took over the Suffolks at a time when they were actually going through a huge transition themselves. And I think you've probably touched on it in an earlier podcast, but... The Suffolks at one time used to be great producers of milk and silky hair and and have back ends and all the rest of it. And then suddenly they lost it of muffy hair, big bones, and no back end. Where did that all come from? So it never actually, came from the Blue Leicester anyway. Oh, sorry, I did. Oh, don't get me started on them. <laughs> come on, Rob. You'll have had a few dealings with Harry Slay, I'm sure, at the Highland Show, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously we showed at the Highlands and Harry would be showing at the same time. The, the 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 respect that I had for Harry, it would be probably, in my opinion, the greatest breeder of Highland ponies that we've probably ever seen, to be honest. Um, I doubt we'll see anybody that will get any, anything close to him. I mean, the, the amount of championships, it, it was more or less a given when you read the Highland Show reports and the Scottish Farmer um that uh, St John's Wells was winning the the Highland Ponies. It just it was more or less a given year on year. I mean, it was such such an achievement for that for for one one family and one man in particular. I mean, I, I never knew his father, and uh, from from a sheep point of view, it'd be one of the best kenners of breeding stock I think I've met. Um, it could go and buy pens of lambs and turn them into absolute. Bloomers of gamers um, year on year, mm-hmm. and even like in his uh, when he was coming to the end, he was still on the phone to some of the guys here. He'd come to Stirling Market. And he was well, a very good friend. John McGregor was actually saying that um, a few days before he actually passed, um, he was on the phone to him, wondering what his top ten of young lambs were going to be making because he was for buying them. You know, he, he knew his he knew his uh, breeding stock inside out. Um, Another guy that will be very, very hard. In fact, won't be replaced. You know, um, I don't. I don't see the horse world ever finding somebody like that again. It's the the amount of work and time that he put into them and his knowledge. You know. Sure. 
And we're looking at these guys, and yeah, hopefully this we know there's youngsters coming on from Harry, there's youngsters coming on uh, on from Donald Bigger, of course, as well. And they're big shoes to fill for these guys, and it's a huge, huge thing for them to to get into. We'll just move on to another guy, I think a big loss, and just around about the, the Highland Show, and without being too maudlin on, on this uh, Christmas party that we're all having a good, show, a good uh, skate at there, we'll uh, just mention another great guy was Alistair Houston at uh, Gretna House, and... and uh, um, yeah. another a monumental man that did so much in, in a short lifetime really and uh, and taken too soon a great guy Alistair um, I loved Alistair a bit he always had, uh, made time to speak to me and would stop and have a really good nap <coughs> more often than not it would turn into a slagging match um, and Alistair would usually win and I would have to go away with my tail between my legs but uh, <laughs> I, I really did have a lot of time for Alistair I loved, I loved him a bit so I'd uh, I was fortunate enough to buy a couple of Charlie Bulls, not for myself, but for, for uh, friends and family in the past. And uh, I remember going to Carlisle. Um, Alistair had three Bulls in his pen. And I had earmarked before I went down that it was a member of my family wanted a very easy calving bull. And at that time, Alistair was selling uh, Blalock Digger Bulls. Um, he had a couple in his pen. It had tremendous figures for calving. And I went down and uh, looked at the pen Alistair was there and he came up and he was chatting away to me and I said, I'm looking for easy calving, Alistair. And he says, oh, well, there's a Blaylock digger in this side and here's a Blaylock digger in that side. And I'm looking at these two. Now, I don't want to upset people that are involved with Blaylock digger, but I'm looking at the two bulls and I'm going, if I buy these for uh, this fella, he's not going to be very happy because for want a better word, they were arseless, Nara brutes. But this bull stood in the middle, and I said, well, Alistair, what's this bull in the middle here? And he says, oh, that's a, a Loch End pirate from, um, it's a bull Ian Miller, yeah. Loch End bred. And this is a terrific, a, a great carcass young bull, and uh, a lovely look about him, great head, and it horrific carving figures. But <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to buy one of the diggers, so I bought the Loch End pirate one, and I came round, and Alistair gave me, he berated the hell out before it, and... Uh, <laughs> He then refused to give me any luck for being so stupid. And uh, that bull turned out to be the best breeding bull I ever bought, that man. So. <laughs> but uh, I was a, a pure character. I, was, I spoke to him not long. I spoke to him in the May Bull sales. The, the Blues and the Charlies were selling the same day. And I went round and I seen him and uh, Steve Nisbet uh, sitting in the crowd watching the judging. I went round and had a natter with him for half an hour. I'm glad I did because... Uh, Ah, uh, well, I'll, I'll miss my chat as well, Alistair. Um, so I will. Scotty? I never actually knew Alistair at all, but I mean, one of the testaments to his level of stocksmanship, I suppose, would be that uh, quite a lot of guys in the borders of Scotland would buy Angus and Charlie Bulls from him, and they were always good beasts, but he's, he's, um, his, his reputation was upheld on every occasion. These cattle always went on and did with people. There was never an issue. He never heard anybody saying, oh, it went backwards or it was infertile or didn't last. You know, it was a real legacy went with a lot of these, those cattle from Alistair. And they really lasted. I think the honesty of the cattle, you know, bred the honesty of the cattle from Gretna yeah, certainly did. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Andy. I think there's a bit of honesty that came from, from Alistair himself, came right through into his cattle, you know, ironically. Huh. Um, so, 
Yeah, well done him. He's left a great legacy behind and uh, obviously a very accomplished stocksman in his time. Not just an accomplished stockman, stocksman, of course, but an accomplished businessman as well. Bought the, the local hotel down the road and turned that round. And, and, and uh, Fletch, you'll, you'll not much in Gretna that, uh, that didn't... Uh, that Alistair didn't oversee or have a look at. He did. Uh, he did well on all fronts, didn't he? And a great guy. I think uh, it certainly surprised me when I when I interviewed him uh, not long before he passed. Um, we had a couple of discussions. I was o- I went over and uh, spoke to him a few times. I couldn't get away with the fact that he actually was running an empire that a lot of businessmen would find hard to keep a track of. But he was doing that and. His most passionate thing was his farming business and his breeding, the breeding of his Aberdeen Angus and his um, Charlies. You only need to think of something. Gretna House Supersonic in the in the yeah, yeah. and and blacksmith mm-hmm. in the Aberdeen Angus. And if that's not a legacy that somebody would like to leave behind, then you know we might as well give up now because that was just fantastic. I love the name uh, Gretna House Blacksmith, of course, because re- reference to the blacksmith shop, of course, on Gretna Green, where everybody used to go up and over the years and go and get married when they went over the border, and uh, that that denotes a sense of humour as well. Uh, the fact. I think the good the good news is that he made more money off of the blacksmith's anvil than he ever did off the bull, right yeah. enough. But um, <laughs> it, it, it may be getting debatable now. But you know what what a legacy to leave behind that to employ so many people in the local area and look after them and. Every single person who worked for him knew who he was and they had a conversation with him. And that's just the kind of man he was. He had time for everyone. And the, the breeders who bought bulls from him will know that. Yeah, tremendous man, a big loss. And, and again, hopefully some youngsters uh, um, coming back through and I know they've resorted the, the business now and there are still Grittenhouse cattle coming out. Yeah, uh, this year again, and the legacy carries on, and and we're still on this this year, and it's a very recent one now. I suppose a little bit raw to some of the family, and apologise for that. But uh, one big loss, of course, that was announced this week was uh, David Dick from uh, from Throsk and uh, limousine breeder again, businessman, raconteur, and uh, and somebody that was a, was a, a cornerstone, I would think, of of my uh, my time. Growing up in amongst the the, the pedigree livestock world with uh, with his prowess in the limousines, uh, I think uh, Robert, you're, you're you're quite close to the family there. You'll you'll uh, you'll have a fair bit uh, a bit of respect for David Dick. Yeah, David Dick was uh, a one-off, um, a very unassuming man. Um, you would never, if you met David from the first time, you would never know what sort of empire he had going on round about him and. Um, you know, he, he spoke to everybody the same way. Um, he gave everybody the same time. He, he never ever walked past you. Um, he was. Uh, he wasn't somebody that would tell you very much, but you could learn off him by watching him. Um, was was a comment that uh, a close friend made the other day that used to work at the Throsk actually. Um, he wouldn't actually go out his way to tell you how to do something, but if you watched him, you learned, and he knew that you were <laughs> you were learning. Uh, I think from a cattle point of view, I mean, Roddick, the, the name the name goes for itself. You know, the, the way Roddick have produced cattle over the years for, for so long within the breed, it's, it's something that uh, the whole family should be proud of, but it's, something, it's a legacy that, that Davis uh, set up and um, left them with. And the, the fact that there were very few men could start with what Davis started with and 
finished the, the way he did. I mean, they're farming a huge amount of ground down there in, in Stirling and I heard it absolutely tremendous cattle. And also, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even know David was the Scottish uh, ploughing champion. Uh, he won the Scottish ploughing championships way back. I can't, I couldn't tell you dates, but I mean, it doesn't matter when it was to win the Scottish ploughing championships, you had to be pretty able in a plough. And from, from what I hear from uh, some of the family and my friends, David was still ploughing up to um, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, he was doing what he loved right to the end. So okay. yeah, we'll, we'll miss David. Um, he was a, a great part of um, the the family community up here and um, he will be he will be sorely missed. So, certainly a neighbour of yours in that area, as you say. And uh, Scott, did you... Uh, looking from the outside in, he was always a name synonymous with top quality limousine cattle, you know, from... 19... He'd be one of the first guys to be in limousines, was he not in the late 70s? Yes, absolutely he was. And I suppose the the beginning, really, when we all heard of of, uh, of Ronick in, in a big way, was when they turned out with a fantastic show cow, uh, Broadmeadows Ainsey. And uh, of my generation, or of our generation, she was one of the greatest cows I've ever seen and a real show winner um, coming back in and winning prizes year on year. And in her later years, of course, ably brought out by... Uh, by Doogie Macbeth, and uh, Doogie again will admit that uh, he learned a lot, I think, at uh, at Trosk. And Fletch, of course, you know, David Dick, I'm sure he'll be mentioned, I guess, within the newspaper of the next day or two, and a uh, tremendous man <laughs> you'll have known and, and understood of, of what he achieved in, in, a, in a long lifetime. I think I think Rab maybe summed it up better than I could. The word unassuming comes to mind. Um, but he was a captain of the business. And, and a good captain has his hand on the tiller. And whether he has a light hand on the tiller or a heavy hand on the tiller depends on the quality of the captain. And a good captain always has a light hand on the tiller. And I think everybody around about him really responded to that. And he was quite happy for them to take a lot of the slaps in the back and all the rest of it. And he just stood back quite unassuming. But don't be mistaken, I think he was very much the captain of the ship. And I think that was David Dick. Right, guys, I thank you all very much. I really appreciate those, uh, those kind and honest words about those, uh, those five uh, uh, worthy gentlemen that, that we sadly lost in the last 12 months. Um, I'd like to also raise a glass to uh, anyone else within the industry that, uh, that we lost during this, uh, what was a rather strange um, 2021, and let's hope for, for a much better 2022 and the years beyond that. And uh, I'd like to, uh, like to wish you guys on the call, of course, a happy new year. Uh, and to all of our listeners uh, out there on Top Lines and Tales, you guys that make it uh, a success that it is by uh, tuning in week on week and uh, listening to what we have to say. I hope you carry on finding us it uh, interesting. And as always, thanks to the kind and generous support from uh, Harbro. So uh, thanks to everybody and uh, a happy new year to all. And we'll see you all next week when we revert back to our usual format of Top Lines and Tales. <laughs>